This Podcast Movement 2022 audio session is brought to you by Supporting Cast, the best way to sell and deliver exclusive podcasts. And special thanks to PM22 Virtual Ticket Presenting Sponsor, Amazon Music. All right, welcome everyone. Um, if you're walking in, uh, please come up to the front here. We've got all these great spaces. Um, and yeah, I guess we can begin. Uh, so my name is Dane Cardiel. I am the VP of Creator Partnerships at HeadGum and Gumball, and I will be the moderator of this fine panel. Um, we are going to discuss how to secure a podcast deal. So. I'm joined by some great uh, folks here, um, and I'll let them introduce themselves, and then we'll jump right in. Hi, everyone. Welcome. Uh, my name is Unju Pak, and I'm the head of the gold team at Wondery and Amazon. And because nobody knows what the gold team is, that means global overall licensing and distribution. So we do the podcast acquisitions. We do um, business affairs for production. And then we also have our biz dev team, which does uh, distribution and ubiquity. Anyway, so I'm happy to be speaking with you guys today. <laughs> we also do karaoke, which is what these mics are for. <laughs> Hi, I'm Meredith Halpern-Ranzer. I am the chief executive tinker at Tinkercast and co-founder along with my partners, Guy Raz and Mindy Thomas. Um, we're the company that is um, behind some of the leading podcasts for kids and families, like Wow in the World, Flippin' Mosey's Guide to How to Be an Earthling, and Who Went Wow. Um, and we are distributed by Wondery and represented by UTA. So I'm sandwiched perfectly in the middle right they now. They are our fantastic partners. <laughs> And I'm AJ. Um, I'm a podcasting agent over at UTA, where we represent podcast creators and do their distribution deals. And we also represent IP when it comes to television, and we work with Wondery on that side of things. So it's great to be on this panel. Amazing. Uh, Meredith, I'd love to start with you and have you talk us through um, your journey in the podcast industry, um, and specifically how have partnerships propelled uh, you along the way, um, and any little observations you might have um, in your time. Sure, absolutely. So we launched um, Wow in the World and Tinkercast at the same time about five and a half years ago. Um, we, you know, there were definitely were kids podcasts out there, but they weren't quite breaking through yet. Um, we were lucky enough to have a partnership deal at the time, distribution deal with NPR, which really helped to put us on the map. Um, and help to let parents know, hey, there's something that kids, your kids might like to listen to as well. Um, so that really, you know, having that partnership out of the gate really helped us. Um, and um, through over the last five and a half years, we have grown and um, shifted some of our partnership deals looking for a home that was, you know, going to um, expand the children's and family podcast market and help us grow the whole industry or the niche industry that we are a part of. Um, so really, our partnerships have been a huge part of our growth story um, and the kids market, I think, is growth story as well. Um, you know, speaking of momentum, I feel like there's a lot of momentum in the space right now. AJ, uh, UTA is seemingly in the news on a weekly basis. I wanted to ask you, are you getting enough sleep? Um, and how... That wasn't one of the approved questions. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think our clients are in the press. We happen yeah. to be aligned with that, obviously, and helping get those deals done. 
but I would say we're getting a good amount of sleep, maybe not enough. Maybe we need a kid's sleep podcast, you know, yeah. bedtime stories. We're working on one, don't worry. Um, as you're looking to sign creators, um, would love to have you talk through um, what are the ideal um, qualities a creator has that uh, makes you interested, and then after you sign them, how are you fielding opportunities for them? Is it just revenue-based, or are you looking beyond that? Well, um, you know, like I said, we're a, I'm a podcast agent, but we do represent a lot of different creators across the board. So it's people who are endemic to the podcasting space, first and foremost, like hosts and journalists and podcasters. But it's also helping clients of the agency get into the podcasting space, whether it's an actor or a writer or whomever. And like I said, we also do work on the intellectual property side when it comes to television and film. I would say when we look to a client to you know, potentially sign them in the podcasting space first and foremost, we're obviously looking at a lot of the key metrics I assume Wondery's looking at, right? The analytics, how well the show is performing, what is the momentum on social media, are they on the charts? But I think sort of more importantly is because we're a 360 agency, we really look to help that client build out other verticals. So it's not just signing them in the podcast space and doing one distribution deal and you know, that's normally a 12-month term, so what will we do in the meantime, right? How can we build them into touring? How can we help them do a book deal or get a Patreon or whatever it might be? That way we can work with them across the board. So I think those are the qualities that we, we look for. And are you bringing these, like, uh, ideas to them? Are the creators coming to you and saying, oh, I'm, I want to explore this space, what are my options? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's a little bit of both, um, which kind of goes back to your first point, which is, do we just generate revenue for the client or are we being proactive in other ways? I would say it's not just about generating revenue. Of course, as an agent, that's sort of the idea. You know, you're there to do deals, but we are also sitting down with the client and being strategic with them on what are their priorities. Are they looking to just do a distribution deal and that's it? Most of the time, no. They, they, they're interested in touring the podcast. You know, they want to go on the road. Or they're interested in doing a companion coffee book you know, that's associated with the podcast. Or in many cases, they're interested in launching a network of shows, right? where we're helping them amplify one deal with one company, and then looking at the marketplace and saying, what are some other verticals that that client could get into? If they're in comedy, can they launch a sports comedy show? Can they launch anything else? So, we try to be proactive with them, but also always going back to what their core goals are when we initially sit down with them. I mean, similarly at Wondery, we um, have you know some uh, similar like qualities that we look for in partners, and especially people who are wanting to expand their brand on different Amazon platforms and services. So you know, one thing that's great about Tinkercast is that they are open to like consumer products, um, you know, various uh, live streaming. Um, Guy has done some live streams on uh, with uh, Wondery as well and Amazon. So it's really having creators that are open to all the possibilities that you know their podcast can bring and podcasts can be sort of an incubator, as AJ was saying of IP that can grow into many other things, you know, potentially TV shows. We've done that at Wondery, and um, we, you know, like to see, you know, people who are open to all of these potential um, franchises. Um, Unju, for Wondery, you know, you all have been um, 
pretty long-standing leader in the space, and I think we, a lot of us look to you um, as an example. I'm curious, as you look to close out this year and, and turn the corner into 2023, uh, can you talk us through like your acquisition thesis? How are you all thinking about the partnerships you want to secure, and then also the, the existing um, partners, how to retain those and ensure that those are set up for success? So I think if you're coming up with one thesis, it's we want everyone to be listening. So I would say lifetime of listening you know, throughout the world. So we want people, we want to acquire podcasts that can cover every age and every stage. So you know, with Tinkercast, we have kids. You know, we want uh, YA, we want YA, I mean, to be, uh, you know, we want, we want older listeners. I mean, we want something for everyone. Um, as part of that, it's important to us that there are diverse voices because we want everyone to be listening and we want to reflect the global listener and the world that we live in. So it's really, um, you know, we want the audio, you know, first medium to be very important. And in order to do that, you have to have something that is going to resonate with um, everyone. So that's what we're looking for. Um, but one of the areas that we are focusing on is international. We're um, trying to expand uh, you know, globally, not just both in the production space, but also in the um, you know, network space. Uh, we've already had a little bit of success, like Harsh Reality in the UK has won an ARIA award. Um, we've been doing British Scandal. We've done business wars in you know, different translations around the world. And we've launched our first Spanish language um, podcast called Tapito. So you know, one of the trends that we're looking at is definitely moving globally. And then one thing that you know, I think we've said a few times here is that podcast as a content incubator. So, you know, I think I referenced the fact that we've had all these TV series. We've had Dirty John, Dr. Death, We Crash, Shrink Next Door, Joe Exotic. So it's, it's going to be important for us to, to acquire um, great stories that have not only like the ability to become TV series, but also other franchise opportunities as well. Um, Meredith, for from a content development perspective, um, is your team balancing uh, a commercial uh, hit versus like content that you love and want and stories you want to do those compete against one another, or um, have you found like a, a formula that works for you? Um, I think we we do things that light us up first and foremost, and those things happen to be commercially successful often. Not not always right out of the gate, but I mean, Wow in the World out of the gate was pretty successful, and that's sort of our anchor for everything, and allows us to take risks on other things and give it more time. Um, but I don't, that's not something that drives us. It's, some, it's an outcome of doing things that we love to do and telling stories we love to tell. Um, I guess... For creators in the room that might be thinking about what um, what are some signals that they should be considering as far as that make them potential partners, either for for um, an agency or for a network. Um, you know, numbers are probably one thing that we all know that are important, but it's beyond that. Um, 
any wisdom or insights that you would share for a creator thinking about, oh, I'd like to have a podcast deal this year, next year, and in two years? How should they prepare um, themselves for that? You know, I think it's very important for podcasters to understand their audience and have a real community. Um, there's a gazillion podcasts out there, but it needs to be very authentic and true to that podcaster's voice. But it's also important for um, podcasters to engage with their community because it's a, a, an engaged um, fan is a fan that will follow you to other, you know, to merchandise. Like, you know, people, for example, the Morbid hosts, they have a very authentic voice, but they also have this community that's around them, and they develop that by having, um, you know, live, live streams, by doing tours. So it's important to make sure that you understand who your your audience and listener is, and to support that audience. Uh, Meredith, there are a lot of options for creators uh, when it comes to the partners that they work with. Um, it's a very competitive space from, um, from a distributor or network perspective as far as the content that they have the privilege of, uh, of, of working with. Um, what are the things that, you know, as you've had a few deals in your, your tenure, what are the, the qualities or the things that you are looking for in a, a partner that makes it, um, you know, worth considering? Yeah, I think um, there's a lot of things that we're creators first. And so um, while we do have some marketing chops and some marketing people, um, we really want to put our energy into making the best shows and making the best content. So we look for partners that can really help us market it, get it out there, really, whether that means that they have a network where there's cross-promotions that they, we can leverage, or they have other relationships or, or marketing budgets that might be larger than our budgets. Um, and also the ad sales piece, too. Like, we haven't um, ever been a part of selling our own sponsorships. Um, we've been looking for you know, partners that would sell the sponsorship spots for us and um, guarantee us something up front so that we can make the shows because that's really what our core business is. Um, and then, you know, um, we look at that, as you guys are talking about, there's that 360 approach of all the different franchise options that you can do from books to live events to educational stuff for us. Um, and so we look for partners that can help us extend the reach to all of those different areas, consumer products, um, is huge, and the Wondery franchise team is unbelievably amazing. Um, we love working with them. And so, you know, thinking about, like, you know, we share the same vision of ex expanding the funnel, and we're looking for partners that really are, have that same vision of how to really get more people in to the fold um, and help us and help the whole industry, really. I mean, and it is important when you're looking at a network um, to see, you know, what they can provide. and. Uh, I would say that if a network really needs to have like an amazing sales team, which ours is amazing, and truly amazing marketing, um, and you need to think about the network and what type of network it, it is, because it may make sense, like, because co-production, sorry, co-promotion is important. So if there are podcasts that are similar to yours, um, there may be more opportunities to do, you know, guesting or 
uh, co-promotions. And then again, as Meredith mentioned, the ability to have these franchise opportunities is also important. And then also like some basic things, like if there's some production support or help with, uh, Wondery is also a producer. So, you know, if there can, there can be some help on the content side. So I think it's important to see like what sort of things um, benefits that a network can provide and see if it meshes with, you know, the type of podcast that you're making. Uh, AJ, when, so I, I think a, a trend that I'm noticing, you know, um, when it comes to representation, um, it seems like there is, uh, an, I, I don't want to say like lower threshold, but it, all types of creators are represented now and increasingly so. Um, would love to hear from you why you think you know, representation is important to consider um, and uh, uh, you know, what, what should a creator uh, prepare to either reach out to a UTA or, or, or someone else? Yeah, I mean, I think representation is super important. Um, you know, the way we approach it is sort of going back to what you guys were saying when it comes down to the deal. You know, we talk to all of the different buyers all the time. So we know what all of the buyers are looking for, what they're best at, because we have clients at all of the different distributors. So I think from a logistics standpoint, obviously it makes sense to have a representative so that you are getting the best deal possible. But to your point with marketing or whatever it might be, there are other elements, the intangibles that are important as well, that go beyond just the deal, go beyond just the minimum guarantee and the term and all the rest of it that we are negotiating on behalf of the client but it also comes with the market intel that we can provide. And so I would say there are some buyers that are gonna be better at true crime. There are some buyers that are gonna be better at limited documentary series and selling that. And there are other buyers that just won't touch that. So I think it's about we're, having- We're great at true crime and limited documentary series. It is true. Um, and so I think it's about knowing what partner you go to for what show and being smart about it. And so as a rep, that's what we can bring to the table. Outside of that, you know, it's everything we've mentioned, right? We have a lot of buy-in from the rest of the agency. So people who are in our touring division, who are in our licensing division, who are in our creator economy division and TV and film, they come to us with ideas for their own clients. We go to them with our clients that are coming out of the podcasting space. We have a client that wants to go do a tour. We will talk about that with them and be strategic about it because when we sign someone, we're not just signing them into the podcast group. We're signing them into the podcast group, but also the agency as a whole. So I'd say for people who are interested in getting representation, it's oftentimes referrals are typically the best way to go about it. So, you know, people might reach out to their friend who was repped by us and then we get a referral or we're reaching out to people all the time via the email that's in an RSS feed or on social media. We're DMing people who are a little bit smaller because we really believe in them and are, you know, very interested in getting behind them to help them grow out their business. And I can just um, double down on that because, you know, AJ and Oren and the UTA team, when, when we first met with them, it wasn't just the podcast group. It was all of the different groups that met with us to talk about, you know, live and books and um, toys. It was the whole group. And it really was, we felt so supportive. And as AJ was saying before, it's not just about the money or the bottom line. It's like, they take a vested interest in our strategic plans and our growth. And, you know, Oren's always referring to us as we. Like, it's a we situation. We are partners. Um, 
we don't have a pronoun problem. We always just say we, not I, we did the deal, we represent the client, because it's true. You know, there's a whole team behind every client. And so, sure, there's a point agent, but there's a team behind that as well that's there to help support and grow. And it's also this we, too. That's what I mean. Like, Tinkercast right. and UTA is a we also, which is lovely. It's a global we. We. Yes. So that's Tinker why I'm sandwiched between UTA you guys and Wondery slash Amazon Music and Gumball <laughs> and Gumball. Yes. Um, <laughs> this isn't about me. Um, so I wanted to walk through some specific scenarios because I feel like sometimes we kind of talk about things at a high level, but it might be helpful to ground ground some scenarios. So. And I think this is all going to go to AJ, apparently. But um, let me just read this out. So, so if I'm a well-established independent creator with a respectable social media following, my fans are constantly saying I should start a podcast, and I finally have an idea that I love and I want to make. What should I do next? Call your agent. Um, if it's a, you know, no, I would say what you should do next depends. So you could go and launch a podcast. There's no barrier to entry. I think plenty of people do that. And most shows out there launch independently. There's two and a half million podcasts. And not all of them are launching with a network partner. So if you have that big of a social following and it's respectful and your audience is clamoring for that podcast, come up with an idea that is going to give that audience what they want every single week develop a format that feels repeatable, that is something that advertisers are gonna to wanna to be interested in and you're gonna to wanna to be interested in. We've seen it before where it's not just social media people, it's, it's podcasters, it's actors, it's writers. It's coming up with an idea that you can actually repeat from week to week and not just letting this sort of eventually sort of peter out because growing a podcast takes an incredible amount of time. It is a full-time job and so if you're gonna launch on your own, that's a huge piece of it. If you want to ultimately launch with a network, I think it's about pitching it, and that's kind of what we do in our process. You know, We create a hit list, we go out to the marketplace, we have these conversations with every buyer, Amazon, Gumball, Wondery, uh, Spotify, ACAS, all the rest of it, and we're building this competitive marketplace so that we can generate the best deal. So I'd say if that's the scenario you're in, launching it independently is certainly one way of doing it, and then seeing how it grows. And then very likely people will reach out to you. We've had people reach out to our clients after we've already launched a show with a different buyer. And you know, it creates that sort of tension in the marketplace that we're able to generate to get the best deal. Um, I have another scenario, unless there's anything else to add. Oh, OK. Um, all right, so in this one, I'm an independent podcaster who has an established comedy podcast talk show that's been publishing consistently for the last two years. We earn about 300,000 downloads per month. Uh, I've seen a lot of news of podcasts earning six to seven figure deals. Is that possible for me? What should I do next if I want to secure my first podcast deal? Um, call your agent. Sorry, I, I knew the questions beforehand. So. Um, I would say for, for 300,000 downloads a month, what's that, 75,000 downloads an episode, like that's a respectful audience right there, and you can generate good advertising revenue off of that. I'd say what you should do next is start to think about what ad sales partner you might want to partner with, whether that's someone like Gumball for that size of a show where you're part of a marketplace and advertisers are reaching out to you there, um, and thinking about ACAST or Audible, or I mean Audio Boom, and finding places that are going to be able to help you sell ads into that show. Um, but more importantly, kind of what 
Unju was saying earlier was, at 300,000 downloads a month, like that's a solid show, but you really want to start to get to 100,000 downloads per episode or even more than that. And so finding a partner that can help you market that show is gonna be the most important thing. Going on other podcasts within that network is extremely important, cross promo, feed drops, and all the rest of it. Um, same scenario as before, but instead of 300,000 downloads, it's uh, 80,000 downloads, so I guess uh, a little smaller of a show. Yeah, a little smaller. I would say at 80,000 downloads a month, you know, that's um, definitely a solid show, but you want to, a lot of buyers that we're talking to are going to want to get in at around 50,000 downloads an episode. So at 80, I would just encourage them to continue to do the show and continue to build it out weekly. A lot of clients are finding a, a huge amount of success, whether it's on social media platforms or even doing video for their podcast. So if they post the YouTube version of the podcast on YouTube, then they can generate even more value there and benefit from the, the algorithm that's available on, on YouTube. Even more importantly than that is, if you're doing video already, you can cut it up and put it on TikTok where things will go viral. Um, I don't know if everyone else's TikTok is this way, but mine tends to be a lot of podcasters having conversations and it's cut in a landscape mode for vertical, so it doesn't quite look the best, but I think it's you know having that entrepreneurial spirit about the podcast and committing to it and continuing to do it on a regular basis. Uh, you mentioned YouTube, and Meredith, I'd love to hear, we were talking a little bit about um, you all considering video and either developing video right now. Um, walk us through that, because I would imagine that just doing video is not as easy as that sounds. It's not. I come from children's television, and so we kind of know um, how big that could be and what a beast you have to feed once you start it. But I would also say that, um, as we all probably have heard and know, YouTube is now the number one place for discoverability. So to ignore it is, is you know, not an option. Um, and not something, we want, we want to extend that funnel. So that's where that funnel could be. So we think about, you know, if we are developing a strategy around YouTube that can at one time um, still appeal to the people that find our podcast as a, as a, as a, what's the word? Well, a screen alternative, I should say. Um, because I think there's a value for kids specifically in listening and um, in not being pulled into a screen. And so we want to, the one, you know, at the one hand, continue to respect and serve that audience and that need. And on the other hand, we want to extend the funnel and bring in more people into the fold. So we are thinking about how can we be an antidote um, for you know, that, that platform as well. And um, I mean, I think it's really amazing to know that people are listening and sometimes watching something too um, at the same time on YouTube. So yeah, it's a, it's a challenge that we are up for and, and really thinking a lot about thoughtfully. Um, and we'll hopefully have something to share soon. Yeah, video is going to be very important. Um, I think 60% of weekly podcast listeners say they prefer podcasts with video. So, I mean, I think one of the wonderful things about audio is that you can actually do other stuff while you're listening. Um, but obviously for discoverability and um, the fact that your audience is on uh, YouTube, TikTok, other video platforms, 
you need to be there. So whether it's a talking head at the beginning, um, because I mean, I come from a video or TV background, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's a lot harder when it's on video, like clearance. Um, there's, uh, to, you know, potentially if you're uh, thinking about doing anything scripted, you, you know, there could be union issues. I mean, there's just a lot of more issues with video, but we're all trying to crack it because, you know, video is the future to some degree, especially if your audience is there. I will give a shout out to, I think, Code Switch like, um, launched something this week that looks really good. Um, so definitely check out what they've done. Um, so this is an, a, a topic that I think is really important and potentially overlooked in the industry because um, you know, when we are looking for press on a partnership that we've launched, we're, um, or when we're looking for press in general, we're not looking to announce a great sustained relationship has been secured. So once a podcast deal is established and we go into the onboarding of that creator or that network into an organization, into an established company, um, they you know, become a part of the, the identity of that distributor. Um, what does continu continued success look like? Um, maybe through this specific example between Wondery and Tinkercast, but then also generally, what should a creator expect and or demand from their partners in terms of support and attention? So I think I said earlier that um, the gold team's goal is to be the best partner in the world. And we've been thinking a lot, and I'm gonna call out Margot because I know she's working on our onboarding uh, plan for partners. But um, it is, so the deal is not enough. I mean, once the deal closes, it's really important that we have a plan and, um, and we want to make sure that the partner understands what we want to do with them and also we need to have uh, an understanding of what the partner expects um, as well. So, I th so what we're trying to do is one, have an onboarding plan where we're creating a premium onboarding experience. Um, you know, that includes like making sure that everybody has, a, they have a cheat sheet so they know who to call for different things. Um, so introductions to the team, uh, you know, making sure that there's a partner point of contact, someone on sales, marketing, operations, franchise, finance, and content. I mean, these are people that are gonna be integral to um, growing the partner and uh, you know, helping to uh, make, you know, make this partnership really succeed. So, so part of that is making sure that um, the partner knows who, what, is, what resources are available, and then also you know, even basic things like we have a statement of service. How are you going to get paid? You know, the payment process. So that's an important thing. And to make sure that they know like what opportunities there are to collaborate with, with other Wondery and Amazon businesses. So we want to do all that. And then as part of that, we like to try it. We want to set up a um, sort of a, a, a touch base that's monthly and then quarterly. Um, as we get more familiar, so this is all a this is a work in process um, because there's always room to improve. But we really do think that it doesn't just end with a deal. The deal is the beginning, 
And in order for um, a partner to be happy at their network, you want them to succeed. And with that success, you know, both parties really uh, end up uh, benefiting and growing. And I will say it's working because the team is fantastic. Um, we have regular meetings. I'm seeing people right here. Everywhere I look, there's more people that I'm talking to regularly um, at Wondery. Um, we have you know, bi-weekly, bi-monthly meetings with the marketing team, Vlad's team, um, Margot and I have a touch base, and, and she's our point person, our contact, our partnership contact, that if there's anything that comes up, I can reach out and something, you know, she'll figure out who the right person to talk to about it is. Like something came up with Alexa. Alexa, stop playing WoW in the world. I don't know how to fix that, but we're getting the messages because our audience is like, how do I find WoW in the world? It's not playing. So, you know, Margot on the case, she figured it out. Um, and so, you know, we have um, touch points with the consumer products and franchise team. So we feel we are constantly meeting. We feel we are, you know, real partners in this. Even though we're an independent company, we feel really supported and like we're a real partnership and it's a great relationship. And then AJ, are you all, you know, similarly, maybe not specifically related to your, your clients and their partners, how are you thinking about, you know, continued success with your clients just in general? Do you meet with them regularly? And yeah, I mean, I think it's a lot of what we've discussed. It's communication. So you're meeting with marketing. You're meeting with the ad sales team. You have these regular touch points. It's the same thing at an agency. You know, at UTA, we really focus in on the teamwork aspect to any client. There are, at any one point, probably five people on any one podcaster's team or actor's team or writer's team. And so, you know, there's going to be a point agent for touring, but, you know, I need to be on the same page and understand what's going on for any client's podcast, book, or whatever it might be. So I know when the book's coming out, and they know when the podcast is coming out. And we communicate that to the buyer as well, to the network partner, and they know when the book's coming out. So then maybe there's a marketing strategy push. So it's all about over-communicating what's going on in any one point so that everyone's on the same page and we can be collaborative. Um, well, I think we do have some time, um, uh, fortunately, for some questions. Um, are there questions out there? Um, Great, and I don't think I prepared the, the team for a Q&A, but uh, do we have? We're gonna make him answer all the questions. And I, yeah, I, I'll, I'll, I'll happily answer the questions that you guys don't want to. <laughs> oh yeah. yet getting ready to work into that um, successful but we are not we're not in the realm of normalcy in the sense that we don't have a, a specific schedule and so I don't fit a lot in the mold of what here are your check boxes to check off to work with a network or get representation and we also it's a sex and relationship podcast so it's, it falls into that taboo explicit you know category so what I wanted to ask was what would be great things for some of the smaller podcasters? Maybe we don't meet those numbers that you're talking about, but we might have something that's of value. How, what can I bring to you guys, all of you network and representation, to show you or to even get a meeting with somebody to say, here's why 
this is valuable or here's please take a look at us and see you know we just I'm not going to have 100,000 downloads right now right. but there are so many other things that are behind the scenes so if I can get that information to somebody what's the best way for me to do that for anybody in this room to do that to get to you guys to get to get some attention yeah I mean I think the, we don't always sign clients that have a massive, massive audience. We're looking at people that are category leaders as well. So there are certain categories where maybe it's a smaller amount of audience, but they're really killing it in that field. I'd say there's a lot of you know kids podcasts out there that aren't big because that market isn't quite there yet, or mom podcasts where that market isn't um, quite there yet either, but we know that it's building. Or we know that buyers are looking for it, mandates that are out there and that people want to fill that void. So we'll actually go out and sign people that are on the smaller side because we believe in them and we know there's a marketplace for them. Um, and I think when it comes down to it, like, sure, downloads are one metric to decide how big of a show it is, but it's also seeing the potential for it long term. And if you're not on a weekly schedule, that's fine for a lot of places. You can have a bi-weekly schedule, you could do it monthly, but so long as the content is consistent each time you upload and you're continuing to cater to that audience, then we would wanna partner with someone that could put a ton of money in it behind the scenes for marketing to continue to build that show because it may not monetize as effectively as one might want right out of the gate. And I would just add one thing as an independent um, company and creators, I think you said right off the bat that you're not doing it regularly, but I think one thing that people love to see is that you have an audience, and so when the audience knows when to expect your show, it will help you build an audience too. So it's something to think about is like, can you make it more regular so your audience keeps building and grows with you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a media kit, it's analytics, it's showcasing the momentum that you might have on social media. If you have an audience already, it doesn't need to be that weekly upload, like I said. You know, it's as regular as it can be. And getting that in front of us, whether it's a media kit or just, you know, a link to the podcast with an attachment, you know, all of that is fine. You know, I'm sure... When it comes to most networks, they do have a submission channel within each you know, network's website and that sort of thing. With an agency, like I said, a lot of times it's referrals or pe meeting people like this. That's sort of the best way to go about it. Yeah. There's a question here. Yeah, um, is there something, just bringing you a mic. Oh, thank you. Hi, um, is there something you wanna see, let's say for like a limited run podcast um, that, like a standard, I don't know, a short episode or like what do you want to see? It's kind of a piggyback on that, but I'm not trying to sell my podcast. I'm trying to sell a limited run show. So like what kind of stuff would you want to see for that or here? I could take it. I think for a limited doc series um, or a scripted series or whatever it might be, if it's limited in nature, um, it's much more important to get an understanding of what each episode might be and what the beginning, middle, and end is. Especially for a limited documentary series, most places are gonna wanna know how it's gonna end. I think there are limited examples of shows that have really been just amazing hits. Obviously, Serial is one of them, right? But not to have an, you really wanna avoid having that open ending in order to sell it. That doesn't mean you have to sell it to make it, though. 
So you can have an ongoing investigation and come to an end with that and be able to showcase to a buyer like Wondery or Audible or any other buyer that's picking up limited doc series, hey, this is my story, this is what the arc is, and this is what you'd be picking up. I think you mentioned Guy, you know, with, with how I built this, right? That's a weekly ongoing show. He has a format. And we don't need to tell people if we were selling that show what the 50th episode was going to be and who we would interview and what we might talk about. But for an episode, for a limited series that maybe has six episodes, you kind of do need to know what those beats are in order for a buyer to uh, be reasonably able to pick it up. In terms of having actual, like, an episode or a sample episode, uh, it sort of depends. I mean, I'd say if you have access to that, that's uh, pretty incredible and pretty helpful, especially for a doc series, to showcase that you have found footage too, if it's archival, or showcase the sort of tone of the show, and that way they can understand uh, what it's going to sound like. I think I would just chime in to say one thing about that, though, about having audio. It could sometimes backfire, because sometimes um, partners are looking to co-produce and they want to help develop it with you. So, you know, just understanding who the partner is you're coming to and if that is something they're going to want or if... So that in that case, it might just be like a one sheet and presenting the idea. Um, but if it's a partner that you are going to take on the bulk of the producing, um, you know, having something to show for it is a good thing. Um, the, the question was, if it's a beginning, middle, and end, do you want to see it in a one sheet? I would say for most chat shows, so like a format-driven chat show, one sheets are fine. I would say for a pitch that's a limited documentary series, you might want to have a deck that showcases, you know, maybe the first slide is sort of just the title slide, then an overview, the next one, and then each slide after that is the episode. And then maybe you, know, you wrap it up in some other way. But that way, they kind of get a sense for it. You could do it in a one sheet, too. Really, the medium is not as important as the story. So if the story is compelling and you have really amazing access for that limited doc series, or if it's a scripted series, what the characters are, and you know, what kind of story are you building, and kind of most importantly, because it's a limited doc series, or if it's a scripted series, most of the time, those shows are being made as television shows. So you have to answer the question for the buyer, why do you want to do this as a podcast? Like, why does this make sense for this first? A lot of our clients, they come to us with a show that maybe didn't sell as a television show first. And so we have to be able to craft that for the marketplace so that we can sell them on why this is a podcast first and why we believe in it for that. And how are you going to overcome the different ideas where, you know, you don't have a visual component for our most limited doc series. So how can you get around that but, and still tell that story? And that's why I think the deck is, is most effective. Uh, before we jump to the maybe next and last question, um, I'll say another thing that is, is, is helpful um, is having like ideal sponsors in mind um, and kind of coming to a partner with the, the, the sponsors that they would want to work with or be excited to work with or a list of sponsors that they've already worked with. I think knowing that, knowing that you have sponsors in mind that would fit for the show um, does uh, our work for us a little bit more and helps us kind of get a sense of like you as a creator who you're willing to, to work with uh, on the sponsorship side. Um, yeah. Question. Uh, AJ, can you tell us a little bit about uh, Audio IQ and how you all use data and research yep. to maybe debunk any buyer's preconceived notions about podcasting? I guess a second part would be the importance of democratization 
in the data and research niche of the industry? Yeah. Um, so the question was about something that UTA launched called Audio IQ. So at UTA, we have a division called um, our IQ division, and it focuses on analytics for television, for podcasting, for film, and for a lot of our digital clients who are big on TikTok and all the rest of it. So that worked so well for all of those other groups that we decided to launch something called Audio IQ, which really focuses in on podcasting first and understanding our own analytics and how we can best serve our clients. So the way we typically use it is, let's say I'm a network partner um, and I'm looking to launch a new show, but I have the format, but I don't quite have the hosts yet. We can use Audio IQ to identify very specific lists of people that might make sense because to host that show because they might have an audience that over-indexes on Instagram uh, in sports or if it's a sports show or in true crime if it's a true crime show or whatever it might be. Or if someone's looking to hire a host and we're trying to advocate for our client for that work for hire opportunity, we can build a case around our clients and say, this person makes the most sense to host this cooking show, right? Because their audience over-indexes in cooking on all of these different platforms. And so we can actually come in and say, well, they already have a pretty decent audience with all of these different brand partners in the cooking space. And also, they over-index in this brand that maybe is underwriting the whole podcast, right? And so that's how we use Audio IQ. Um, and it really levels the playing field in a way for us where we're able to go to a buyer and sure we're showcasing the analytics for the podcast itself but we're also showcasing the value that is sort of off the podcast off the rss feed and how big their audience is elsewhere all right i think that's it for time we have seven seconds um thank you all so much and thank you for uh, joining us thank you